Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks in the world who are on a mission to obtain freedom. What is freedom? We're about to find out. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited entrepreneur who has been chasing freedom her entire life. Beside me is my co-host, Jackie Asel, the anchor who keeps me grounded. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of Clock Out, The Vicarious Life. Today, as always, I'm over the top excited because I am interviewing Dr. John DeGarmo. He is the director of the Foster Care Institute. He's a TEDx talk speaker, and he was awarded the Good Morning America Ultimate Hero Award. He has also, as if that's not enough, published 10 books. Dr. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Oh, my goodness. If the opportunity presented itself and I jumped on it because you have got a background that is so extensive, so diverse and so fun. Um, I, <laughs> I can't wait to get to get into it. And because you've got the background in foster care and all of the advocacy that you do for children, my handy dandy co-host Jackie Asel is here to join us as well. Jackie, say hello. Hello. Yes. Okay. So she's going to jump in with a couple follow-up questions as they come up. I'm sure relevant to all the amazing work that you're doing for kids. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. Um, Dr. John, will you tell us what is the Foster Care Institute? How are you involved and how did it, how did it come about? Sure. Thanks for asking. So the Foster Care Institute is kind of think, kind of think of it as a one-stop shop for anything and everything related to foster care. For foster parents, for caseworkers and advocates, for adoptive parents, for people who are considering foster care, um, you know, we tried to over the years try to bring as many resources and support services as possible for it. When I when I did my doctorate, which was centered around foster care, I recognized quickly there was not much out there in regards to resources. So um, over the years, again, we tried to really compile it, and I'm driven daily to make the system a better one, and that's one of the ways we do it for the foster care institute. All right. And how, so is that something that you created yourself? Or I did. You did. I did, yes. How yes, long yes, right. has this been in, uh, in effect? Well, let's see. I think the foster care institute started in 2011. Okay. All right. So, yeah, you're not, you're not new at it. <laughs> and No, 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 no. Okay. So, and, and I've been a foster parent myself. And I've been a foster parent myself with 60-plus kids, so I've had a little bit of insight into into what foster parents need. That's what, that's exactly where I was going to go next with this. It says that you currently have 10 kids in your house and part of your family, but over, over 60 children that you have parented. What is, what is your reason for being involved in foster care? Give me a little background. Okay. So our first child, my wife, well, my wife's from Australia. We, we met singing and dancing across the country, actually across the globe. <laughs> and uh, we got married in early nineties. Moved to Australia, and our first child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull doesn't truly form in the child. Mm-hmm. And my wife was in labor for about ninety-two hours, if oh. you can believe it or not. God bless yeah. her. Yes. Right. Right. So oh. um, afterwards, I was I was in a very bad place. I, I turned my back on a lot of things in my life. And then a couple of years later, we moved back to the United States, and I ended up teaching in a rural school system in middle Georgia, with lots of parental apathy, a lot of parental um, poverty and generational poverty. And 
And I had a lot of kids coming through my classroom who had issues of attendance and behavior and academics, and I kept seeing it over and over again. And, and I recognized after a while that it started in the home. Mm. So I, I went to my wife one day and I said, you know, we have three healthy children now and first child died. How can we help these kids? My, my wife and I had always had a life serving or helping others in some way. So that led to the road of foster parenting. Wow. Something I never, never imagined doing. I, I had no intention of doing it. I believe that so many of the myths and misconceptions that were associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting where our life paths can take us sometimes. Yeah, oh, that that is fascinating. And it, I figured that you probably just had a life of service that would that would draw you to this and your your wife as well. Um, before we get into the foster care part, what drove that? Is that something that your family had at, at, when you were growing up? Or is there, just tell me about how you got into that life of servitude. Well, that's a great question. Yeah, my, my family did have some of it, um, but I was always uh, I, I always had a compassionate heart for for those children who were suffering. Even when I was a child, when I saw mm-hmm. others in my school who were suffering in some way, for some reason my heart was very compassionate towards them. Mm-hmm. And then when we were traveling the globe, singing and dancing, we also did a lot of community service in, in every state and every country that we went to. So uh, you know, for my wife and I, that's how we met, and that was just a part of who we both were. So was um. So that, like I said, the, the conversation about foster parenting just kind of came naturally. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's amazing the joy that that you get from life. I mean, serving others and doing volunteer work is, you know, it's for others, but really it, it's it serves you as well. It like really it makes us better people. I'm I'm and you're you're a prime example of that with all the things that you've done. You've um, I, I am assuming it's brought you joy. Oh, it has. It has. Um, at the same time, it has been the most challenging thing I've done. It's been the most rewarding thing I've done, but it's one of the most challenging thing I've done. And yeah, but but at the same time, every child's maybe a better person in some way. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so tell me about foster parenting. Give me give me a good story. Give me a good story about uh, maybe lessons learned or something something fun with your. I mean, sixty kids. That's some experience. Well, uh, we've had as many as 11 in the house at the same time. And you can imagine that was pretty, pretty uh, crazy and chaotic. Uh, you know, my wife and I both went to work basically for one reason. That was to rest. Um, <laughs> rest and vacation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We've had as many as seven in diapers in the house at the same time. Oh. So um, just I want you to think about that Christmas day with seven in diapers. We call it the very pooey Christmas. Um, <laughs> um you know, watch, watching a child learn how to laugh, watching a child learn how to smile for the very first time, um, watching a child learn how to trust, uh, those are those are rewards in itself. Yeah. Wow. I think the learning how to trust is probably the one that would take and bring you so much joy. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how many years total have you been have you been fostering? And, and I guess the reason I ask is, are these, are these children adults now with their own? Are you still in contact? What does that long-term cycle look like? Well, we started in 2002. Uh, and we stay in contact with as many as we possibly can. Yes, yeah, sure. Some of them are, uh, are adults and some of them actually have kids and we're grandparents to those kids. Um, so because when they come to our house, there's, there's no label, there's no biological or adoptive or, Mm-hmm. or foster they're a part of our family mm-hmm. so 
so they always stay part of a family if possible. Sadly, sometimes when they go back home to the birth parents or relatives, sometimes those birth parents or relatives, they really don't want to have anything to do with us because we might be a part of their past, a reminder of the past that they don't want to recognize or acknowledge. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, sometimes um, they shut us out, and that's hard. Yeah. Um, because because I, I think kids in foster care need three things: they need stability, they need structure, but more than anything, they need unconditional love. So when they come to our house, yeah, we pour all of our hearts into them. We love them with all that we have. So that when they do leave. For, for whatever reason it might be, it's a uh, it's it's a, it's a time of a broken heart, it's a time of grief and loss. So um, yeah, it, it can be it can be difficult in that aspect. Um, but sure, it's, it's so rewarding seeing these kids come back. Um, uh, you know, only six percent go to college, only two percent graduate a four year degree, and we've wow. we've had quite a few who have done so. So that's been rewarding as well. That's excellent. Yeah. Wow. And and so you so with the foster care institute. Are you educating other foster? I mean, are, are you leading the way with what foster care can look like, trying to, to fight some of those, like you said, the stigmas, the things that you um, assumed were going to happen but, but, but didn't? Um, how does that look for education? Yes, you're absolutely right. So I work alongside child welfare agencies to train and equip both the staff and foster parents. Uh, we work with legislators. Mm-hmm. On, uh, on legislation for foster care. Um, recently, I was in D.C. with a dear friend of mine. Her name is Jen Lilly. She's a Hallmark movie actress. Actually, she's with GAC now, um, but she's a foster adoptive advocate herself. And so we went to D.C. To, to meet with legislators and try to make the system a better one. And yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's a daily thing. We're trying to make, how can I make the system better today? Yeah. I, I love that because, you know, I feel like when people start out in whatever it is that, you know, their purpose is, their, you know, their their place on on this planet for whatever reason that we're here, you know, they start out doing something like for you, it's the act of fostering, but you can only take so many kids. You know, you're, you're up to 60. That's a huge number, but you can't take them all in. But you've taken the next step, which is creating this. Um, this institute that then passes on the ability for others to also do what you've done in a better way and to make a better world. Because if we if we just stop with, you know, for for you for example, being the foster parent, your ability to impact is limited. You're taking it so much further. I mean, you've written books as well. I mean, how many people you've reached just through through books, much less through your institute. Well, that's the hope, to be sure. I, I recognize not everybody can be a foster parent. It's the hardest thing I've done, but everybody can help in some way. Everybody can help in some way. So one of the things I try to do is, is bring that information to people because awareness equals advocacy. When people become aware of, of the fact that there are 5 million children experiencing domestic violence in their home every year or that there are 300,000 children because of human trafficking in our nation or that there are 800,000 kids missing or or 465,000 kids in foster care. Uh, that means it's happening in every single community. Yes. That means there's a need for, for help for a child in crisis everywhere in our nation. Sure. So if listeners can't foster, what else can they do? I mean, once, once they're aware of these issues, what's something that somebody, any, any person can do to start making the world a better place with your, with your mission here? Yeah, there's so much you can do. You know, I was actually just in Iowa speaking at some churches in the in the in that state um, because they want to help. They want to create their own foster care outreach program. 
Um, a lot of a lot of faith-based organizations are doing that. They're they're recognizing, you know, what we don't have to go outside of a nation for a mission field. And if somebody wants to help foster care um, in any fashion, you know, maybe you want to buy a backpack filled with hygiene items for these kids, or maybe a backpack filled with school supplies. Because when they come to my house and other foster parents' houses, so many times all they have are the clothes in their back, yeah. or all they have might be a few possessions in a black plastic bag. So. So, so many times foster parents are scrambling. You know, I, I remember my first placement, 1030 at night. And, um, you know, we didn't, the child just came with clothes in her back. So we had to go searching late that night for clothes for the next day. Um, yeah. So, you know, those are a couple of things you could do. Maybe you could prepare meals for these kids. Um, you contact your local child welfare agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you could become a mentor or a tutor. Mm-hmm. If kids in foster care are about 18 months behind academically and they struggle with reading and math skills. So they need someone to help them with that. If you own your own business, maybe you could hire some of these youth who are in foster care to help them develop important work skills and social skills and living skills. Um, those are just a few of the many, many ways you can help. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're you nailed it there. It's it's the the knowledge that there is this issue because so if you're not involved in it, you don't you just don't realize that 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 need is out there until you see the big, you know, a big national push for for advocacy or for hey we need foster parents and and people just don't understand these small or simple but very very impactful things that they can do so yeah that's that is huge um yeah uh, oh go ahead no go ahead i'm sorry oh no i was i was gonna shift a little bit and talk about the services that are available for these these foster kids, I, I mean, I, I think nationally we're, we're in a little bit of a crisis right now for mental health services in particular. Oh, how, ever, yes. how is that impacting your mission and these kiddos? Cause I can't imagine, I can't imagine they're not without those issues. Oh, we certainly are. I, I was saying in March of 2020, when we first started shutting the schools down and first started closing everything up, I was started saying, I was saying, People, we, we got to keep these kids in school because we're sending these children home. And if you have 5 mm. million children who are dom- victims mm. of domestic violence in their own house, that means we're trapping them in their home oh. 24 hours a day with their abuser. And there's no mandated reporter. There's no there's no teacher to see it or a bus driver or a coach. Um, and I was far more concerned about the mental health aspects than I was of any virus. And I think we're seeing the results now. We're seeing the results now. 50, there's a 70% increase in teenage suicide attempts um, in teenagers since, since COVID. Yes, yes, 70% increase oh. in, in teenagers um, since COVID. Uh, teenage obesity is up. Teenage drug addictions are up. Uh, homelessness is up. And all that affects foster care because a lot of these kids are coming to the foster care system with issues of mental health. Um, you know, and they had all those issues beforehand to be sure, but it's only escalated, uh, in the last couple of years. Wow. That's, that's, it's scary and sad at the same time. Yeah, that's, it is, it is. I, I think we will not truly see the results of what we did to these children, uh, during 2020 and 2021 for quite some time. Sure. Yeah, I mean, generations, because it's, it's going to sure. impact how they parent. It's going to impact, you know, what they, how well they're set up to, to thrive in this world as, once they reach adulthood. And that, yeah, as we know, that gets passed down for generations before it's, the cycle is broken. Right, and all the fear and anxiety we instilled in these children, you know, telling these kids, 
you know, you got to stand six feet apart. Don't touch grandma. Don't touch grandpa. They could die. And, and, and right. some of these kids are now, they're getting older. They're having those attachment, those trust issues and attachment issues and mental health issues and anxieties as well. Yeah. Um, you know, before COVID, before COVID, there was a foster care crisis because so many kids were flooding into the system due to the opiate epidemic that was strangling our nation. Not enough homes, more kids flooding in. Mm-hmm. So we have that as well. We have that as well right now, too. Wow. How, how do you deal with, I mean, on a personal level, how do you deal with the overwhelming feeling of, I mean, hopelessness that can be there? Obviously, there's always hope, and I know that. But do you ever find yourself in a position where you're like, man, it's just such a big issue, and how do you deal with that? Are you familiar with the starfish story? Oh, I hope you tell me about it, because I am not. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. So there's a thought, I write about this in my book, um, the, of faith and foster care. So there's a there's a father and son walking along the beach on a on a on a morning, uh, and the night before there was a huge storm. So the beach is littered from one end to the next uh, with starfish. Mm. Uh, the, the, the the waves are thrown up and the storm is thrown up on the beach, and the sun's coming up and it's starting to get hot and the starfish are starting to die from the heat. And the boy bends down and he throws the starfish in the ocean. He bends down, picks up another, and throws in the ocean. He bends down and picks up a third starfish and throws in the ocean. And he's doing this for quite some time. And the father's looking at him. And finally, the father says, son, what are you doing? You can't possibly make a difference. And the son pauses. He picks up another starfish and throws in the ocean. He says, I made a difference for that one. Yeah. So that's how I see it. That's how yeah. I see it. You know, I, I, can't, I can't change the world and, yeah. and you can't change the world. But for these children, yeah. their world has changed when we help them. Just one. That's, that is beautiful. And that is probably the exact reason that you were <laughs> the uh, award recipient for Good Morning America Ultimate Hero Award. Is, th- is this the work that you were doing that got you that award? Yes, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun honor. We had no idea that was going to happen. That was a lot of fun. Oh, tell me about the experience. I think that's, that's just, it's just neat. Well, they came to us. Uh, we, we've been we've been filmed a lot for various things on TV because of the work we've done. You know, here's this lady from Australia and this guy from Michigan. They met singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had 60 plus kids. They've adopted different kids of different colors. They've, they've professional wrestling, the whole deal. So they must have interesting stories. <laughs> so yes. we're always interviewed, and, and they came and um, they're talking to us. And and um, at the very end of the day, they said, "Well, we want to." we want to present you with an award. And I'm thinking, well, what is this about? And, um, and uh, they started giving us these, these uh, sunglasses and suntan lotions and hats. I'm thinking, what is this? And they said, you are the Good Morning America Ultimate Hero Award. And we were going to give you a, a all expense paid Disney cruise for the family. And I was like, wow, oh. how fantastic. Wow. How big was the family at that time? Uh, we took six kids with us. Six of them. Wow. That is so fun. That is cool. Were the kids, I mean, is that was had to have been a huge experience for them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was great. We, we've taken as many as nine kids to Disney World. And, and when you do that, pretty much the only time, the only thing I did was just say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I just counted the entire time <laughs> I was there. Just head counting, <laughs> keeping them in line. Oh, that's so that's, funny. That's a lot of littles running yeah, yeah. in or trying to run in every other direction and bless your soul, because I personally don't think I would have had the mental capacity to do it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah. 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 It was, it was a, it was an interesting experience. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So Dr. John, if we have listeners that have thought about maybe um, becoming a foster or want additional information or, you know, have heard the horror stories about, you know, fostering and stuff like that, where should they reach out or where can they get additional information to kind of help them navigate through that area? Yeah, thanks for asking. So before I answer that, I want to, you said some people who are thinking about becoming foster parents, and I want to address something that I hear a lot. And I hear from people so many times, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to get the kids back. Mm. And my response is, well, that's, you know, that's how it should be. That's how it's supposed to be. These, these kids do need structure and stability and safety and consistency. But what they need more than anything else, as I said earlier, is unconditional love. They need us to love them with all of our hearts. So when they leave, our hearts break. But we could be, as foster parents, the first person who's ever loved them in a healthy um, fashion and in a positive way. And they'll take that with them for the rest of their life. You know, we're planting a seed in them that will blossom and grow into something better. So, so the tears that we have as foster parents and the heartbreak we have, and, and, and we do a lot, um, that's a gift the gift we're giving to that child because again we might be the first person who's ever shed tears over that child leaving mm-hmm. so i want to just i want to bring that forth because if someone's thinking about being a foster parent but saying you know what i can't do it it hurts well it should it should because they need us to hurt for them um you know you don't have to be you don't have to be married you don't have to have a, a, a job you don't have to have a big house um those are some misconceptions too so i just want to address that but for those people who are interested in learning more they can visit the Foster Care Institute online. Just search, just search for a Foster Care Institute or Dr. John DeGarmo, Foster Care Expert, and the information will come up. And again, it, there's so much information there um, that talks about how to be a foster parent, the expectations, et cetera. That's fabulous. And then I know you had said that um, prior to becoming a foster parent, you know, you had heard, you know, different myths and stuff like that. What mm-hmm. what would you say was one of the biggest things that was incorrect? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the kids are bad kids. And that's so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. They're victims of abuse. They're victims of neglect. They're victims of abandonment. I've, I've had, um, I've had uh, I think about the high school senior that came to our house, 17 years of age, who had been bouncing from home to home to home mm-hmm. with his mother and her various boyfriends. And he was on nine psychotropic drugs, mainly to sedate him by his mother. And oh. the boyfriend of a month said, uh, one month boyfriend said, um, hey, make a decision. Is your son or me? And she took her son of the house. Oh. And he ended up homeless and he ended up in a house. Or I think of the four-year-old boy who had cigarette burns in the roof of his mouth and his tongue and his genitals by his mother. These are these are the kids that are coming to us. Um, so, so, so they're not bad kids. You know, I want you to, you know, you can put aside all the abuse and the trauma they've experienced when they're, when they were moved. I want you to imagine a seven year old girl, maybe your own daughter or granddaughter or niece, whoever it might be. I want you to imagine late at night without any explanation whatsoever, social services shows up, maybe even the police. And she's taken from her mother, her father, maybe even her siblings, her stuffed animals, her pets, her house, her home, her relatives everything she knows and placed to strange people with, like myself a strange home and told here's your new house here's your new family mm-hmm. so what does she do well she asks these questions why am I here 
what did I do wrong? Do my oh. parents not love me? Do my parents not love me anymore? Does anybody love me? Will these oh. people hurt me? Will these people abuse me? Um, and then when I can't answer those questions, um, because it's impossible, because I'm a stranger and it's a terrifying moment, what does she do? Well, she cries herself to sleep for several nights in a row. Yeah. So that's, that's, what these, that's what it's like for these kids. They're victims, and they need somebody to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. Um, because as we're having this conversation right now, there is a child within probably a couple miles radius at most of, of each of us listening who is crying out, someone please help me. Yeah. Wow. That so is... that was my biggest mix of conception. The other one was foster parents are weird people. Well, that's kind of true. <laughs> you got you to gotta be, be a little bit weird to do what you do. It is not a normal lifestyle. You know, uh, years ago, people would say, when we first moved to our small town, about 3,000 people would, would say to us, um, you know, they, when they, they wouldn't invite us over anymore. And, and I recognized they weren't inviting us over anymore because they thought, hey, those people are kind of crazy. You got all the kids now. And, you know, it is, it is. <laughs> It is a little bit strange, um, but at the same time, it is amazing, rewarding. And and um, for my own six children, I have, I have three biological and three adoptive. For my own kids, my six kids, uh, I don't know if they'll ever be foster parents, but I do feel certain that everyone will lead a life of serving others in some fashion because they have seen upfront and close and personal um, suffering. Yeah. And and how they can help us who are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's from suffering. It's from pain that beautiful things are born most often. So right. yeah, you're a hundred percent correct there. Um, yeah. Is there anything Jackie that you want to follow up with here as we start to close out on this? I want to respect John's time and make sure that we get him out of here in a half hour. No, I, you know, the, the questions I had definitely, myself wanting to know and I'm sure other people that are going to listen would want to know how to to move forward or what we can do to help yeah I have one last question for you which is more on a personal end uh to leave us on a fun note because you know our our show is about the vicarious life and it's it's usually that we got to add some fun in there as well so you've been on wife swap tell me about that experience really quickly to end this on a fun note Right, right. So, oh, um, we we were all, you know, we've had a lot of reality shows come out to us and say, hey, you know, will you be on our show? Again, they've, they've seen us in Good Morning America and all these other TV shows and sure. um, books. And, and uh, we actually were all set up to do a reality show about fostering and adoption. And, and it was canceled at the very last minute when the Duggar family had their oh, yeah. their problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were all set to go on. Also to go on A and E, and then the Ducker family happened. So, so, um, so you know, we get phone calls, and we do this show, we do that show, and most time it's no. And Weisswalk called up, and I said, "Are you kidding me? You, you should be ashamed of yourself. This show's horrible. It's horrible. I've never seen it, but just the name is terrible." And they said, "No, no, we're reformatting it. We're reformatting a new network. We're trying to show social issues, trying oh. to show you know cultural issues, and we want to show what it's like having." foster and adopt a family. Um, so my wife prayed that we prayed about it. We thought, well, if we can show what it's really like, and if oh. even one person becomes a foster or adopt a parent, then it's worth it. And it was, um, it was something else. <laughs> <laughs> how did, how did your uh, new wife do in the situation? 
she she not do well. Um, <laughs> we're out in the country, and she's very much a city person. We don't do Wi-Fi, and she was all about doing four YouTube channels a day. Um, wow. You know, I said, let's go for – she's at our house, and she's all about you know, makeup and hair, and we said, uh, hey, let's go for a walk. Mm. And she said, okay. So my, my kids are ready in 30 seconds. You know, put some shoes on, let's go. Well, she took two hours to do her hair and makeup and get the right clothes on. I'm like, you know, we, this is not what we do here. Um, you know, and my kids are outside in the storm making mud pies and this wasn't her style. Um, and again, again, no Wi-Fi. My wife went to their house and, and their little girl, I think she was maybe seven at the time, she was doing all these YouTube channels as well um, oh, oh. To, to sell products. Oh, my goodness. And, oh, and I'm, and I'm talking to the to the is my new wife about the fact that there are human predators out there, sexual predators and human traffickers who are right. exploiting her daughter online. Yes. No, no, she's not doing that. I said, well, they are. So my wife went over there after a couple of days, unplugged the Wi-Fi, and now she's showing this child how to how to run in the grass without shoes on, how to catch fireflies, how to have mm-hmm. you know pillow forts. Um, and at the end of the kid. show, yeah. At the end of the show, you can see actually a clip of it online. My wife says, uh, well, you must be happy your mom's coming home. And the little girl says, not really. I like you more. Oh, my my gosh. Shoot. Yeah. 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 Because she was learning how to be a kid. And and that's what we do in our house. We are all about family and experiences and adventures and learning. And, and, um, yeah. yeah. So it was an experience. Um, I still get asked about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you got your wife back. She sounds like an amazing human as you are. Um, yeah, I I am so impressed. I could sit and talk to you for hours on end, but I won't do that. I'm instead going to put all of your links and a little bit of a bio up on my um on my podcast here so that others can dig in and see all of the amazing things. If they want to contact you and get involved is the drjohnfostercare.com website, the best place. Yes, please. Yes, Yes, please. Okay. Well, Dr. John, thank you again so much for not only being on our show, but more importantly for the amazing work that you're doing to make this world a better place and living through your purpose. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, you're so welcome. You have a great day, and we are clocking out.